Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is Three Moves Ahead founder and co-panelist, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here again for two weeks in a row. Last week I was a strategy expert, and now I'm just a co-panelist. I'm getting demoted, like, weekly. Well, and sometimes randomly promoted. Uh, you know, true. I try to I try to keep it fresh. Like, what's Troy going to be this week? You're so fickle um, and arbitrary. Yeah, I like it. I I think it, I think there's a suspense uh, that builds up around the intro that uh, our demographic surveys indicate is actually one of the major reasons the kids listen to our podcast. Rob uh, has acquired the trait arbitrary. So uh, we also welcome back our old friend and uh, OG 3MA panelist Tom Chick. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. If I can get anyone a cup of coffee, I would be happy to do so. I could really use one, but I think at this time of night, it might be unwise and counterproductive. So I'm no, it makes pass. it very productive. You'll go on a like a, a kitchen cleaning tip. The coffee I make, Rob, your kitchen will be spotless by morning. No. Oh, I do like a clean kitchen. <laughs> also, I want Troy. When, Troy, you'll know that you've really made it when you are introduced as a sidekick. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I built this thing. I'm no Ed McMahon. There's no I'm shame in being a sidekick. Some of some of literature's best figures are sidekicks. I would like to submit uh, not Pancho Villa. What's the guy for Don Quixote? Um, Sancho Panza. Panza. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> that's the sidekick in the driver's seat. So so Troy, you could be like that. See? Oh man, see, I think we got your next. I think we've got your next uh, intro. <laughs> I hate uh, you. So our, our topic for tonight is going to be RTS campaigns, in part because I've been spending a fair bit of time with the Heart of the Swarm uh, single-player campaign. I haven't completed it yet, but uh, I'm, I'm many, many missions in, uh, and I've been enjoying it with some significant reservations uh, quite a bit. But, you know, RTS campaigns are really kind of a problematic part of the genre in many ways. Uh, while some of my favorite you know, game experiences have come in RTS campaigns. I think, in general, uh, they they tend to be a bit lackluster, and they, in many ways, kind of I think undersell what what makes RTS games great. And one of the people who kind of led me to this conclusion really uh, was you, Tom, over at uh, the Rush Boom Turtle uh, column back in the uh, blessed Crispy Gamer days, uh, when I just it just seemed like you were putting the hammer to single player campaigns right and left, uh, and it really kind of turned. Me me around on you know how much you know how much I really enjoyed them and I sort of turned into a skirmish only kind of guy for a number of years uh, as I sort of bought into your critique so I was wondering if you just like care to summarize what's what's the big problem with RTS campaigns the the big problem with RTS campaigns and and I first of all would like to point out the disclaimer that all of this is of course entirely subjective I'm not claiming to have any objective claim on what makes a good RTS necessarily. Uh, as, as a critic, as a reviewer, I, I never make that claim. So, so what I'm talking about here is my own particular problem with RTS campaigns, and I fully understand that some people won't share this problem, and that's one of the reasons that a lot of RTSs sell based on their campaigns, and people will buy StarCraft II, and they'll play the campaign, and they'll think, not necessarily incorrectly, that they have experienced StarCraft II. Um, so for some folks, that's fine, but my own personal issue with RTS campaigns is that they don't express what I consider the core gameplay values of an RTS. 
They basically sacrifice all of that. They sacrifice the reasons that I personally, Tom Chick, play RTSs in favor of the minor spectacle of, of little miniature armies fighting. Um, so for, for me, that's a huge drawback. I mean, I, I play RTSs because of the combination of, in StarCraft terms, micro and macro. You know, I like the resource gathering. I like the tension of fighting against an AI who's using the same rules. Um, so for me, when I am instead playing a map where I'm just drag selecting a bunch of units and throwing them into the activation radius of some passive units who will then wake up and fight me, and then I build more units and I fight the next group, uh, I just feel that that does not express what makes RTS as good. Um, so, Rob, I, I am curious. So you mentioned, as, as someone who, you know, you, you agreed with some of my critiques, uh, what is it that you're enjoying about the StarCraft II campaign? I, I think with Heart of the Swarm and with uh, Wings of Liberty, I think Blizzard was really smart about basically admitting that trying to shoehorn uh, your core RTS game into a single-player format just doesn't work. And I really enjoy the way uh, the Zerg single-player campaign feels very different than playing the Zerg in multiplayer in many ways. I enjoy the feeling of being, uh, you know, the uh, the Queen of Blades in many ways, where it's just mission after mission is kind of this, you're, you, you know, you are the swarm. You are just going to pour over this map with a ridiculous number of units and just victimize the living hell out of some Protoss and Terrans who get in your way. Uh, and I really enjoy that because I think there's always this sort of there's always this sort of disconnect, right, between like the fiction of StarCraft and then sort of what you see in the multiplayer matches. You know, you see these cutscenes where like the Zerg Swarm just pours over the Terrans and destroy you know, destroys them and busts their defenses defenses down. And in the in the in the single player, as with many RTSs, in, in the multiplayer that that you know it's 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 a well balanced game. That's just that's just not how play, how things play out. But in the single player campaign I do get this this nice a uh, feeling of, um, uh, uh, of I guess uh, of I guess theme of fiction as the way, the way the missions are designed to sort of sell you on the idea of the swarm as this awe-inspiring destructive force and then putting me in charge of it. Mm -hmm. And see, I I think that that's a, what a lot of people really do dig about the the Blizzard campaigns. You you use the term Rob in a piece that you wrote, which I feel is incredibly appropriate, and I'm. I totally wished I'd stolen it, uh, but you called it at one point Zerg porn. Um, and Blizzard is one of those companies that has the resources to really do porn. And when I talk about resources, I mean, you know, the, the time to put in the polish, the, the production values to make it look good, um, presumably the salary to hire a good writer, although I don't know what's happened to that. <laughs> um, uh, but Blizzard knows how to do porn, and Heart of the Swarm is definitely Zerg porn, and I would argue, Rob, that uh, Wings of Liberty was Terran porn. Um, and, and I think a lot of people really resonate with that. They like these units. It's an imaginative universe, even though it's derivative. It's now when people think of Zergs and Space Marines, they don't think of Warhammer anymore. They think of StarCraft. Um, and, and it really brings to life in this almost fetishistic detail and production value uh, the Zerg and, and, and the Terrans. Um, so I completely can understand that aspect, Rob. But when you mention uh, the disconnect between the fiction and multiplayer, for me, that's still in the single player. Like, I see some of those cutscenes, and I actually wrote a short uh, blog piece about this at quarter to three. 
the the opening cutscene of Kerrigan's dream mm-hmm. of a huge swarm of Zerg attacking a city and then a battle cruiser crashing down into the city through the atmosphere. Um, there is nothing like that in single player or multiplayer. Blizzard has basically opened the game with a vision of what will never exist in the actual game. Uh, and I, I find that hugely disappointing. I mean, I, I, I love those cutscenes, but they just remind me of how little I'm getting when I'm looking at one screen full of, yeah, you know, you can put a hundred banelings on there and that looks kind of cool, but I don't think it, it gets anywhere near what they're trying to do with their fiction, uh, both on the scale of these planets being destroyed and even on the emotional scale of, you know, what Rainer and Kerrigan feel. Uh, all of that to me is just so poorly executed. Uh, that, it, that it kills my enjoyment, even though there is some great Zerg porn there. But at the, at the same time, I mean, I would argue there is a there is a long, proud tradition. Well, I, let's, uh, let's not say proud yet. There is a long tradition in RTS games of the fiction saying one thing and trying to sell you on something happening in the in the single player campaign. That really the, the the game mechanics, the art, the the way the game presents itself just cannot support. And right. I don't I don't know that I'm willing to. Uh, uh, certainly, StarCraft is far from unique uh, in, in this case. But I also don't necessarily know that. That's that. That's such a huge problem. Uh, but I mean, try. I would try. I would argue that this has been a facet of RTS campaigns going back to well, Command and Conquer, right? Is sort of the quintessential uh, series that like the yeah. the campaigns were head explo- The campaign videos were head explodingly awesome when you were a little kid or were you know young and dumb. But then you play the mission, and it was something entirely different. Yeah, I mean it's. One of the problems, I mean, this, this disconnects there for a lot of reasons. One of the big reasons is that strategy games in general aren't great for telling amazing epic stories and amazing epic scale um, with this authorial voice. Um, so you can't have, you know, the Zerg be this... Though, I mean, we've talked about world-building in strategy games before, and, I mean, Blizzard does great world-building. There's no denying that StarCraft is an amazing and interesting world. And Tom's right that, you know... We think of Terrans and Zergs pretty much as, I mean, Zerg Rush is now a generic strategy term because of how powerful uh, that world building within both within the game and within the original story was. Um, but this disconnect is, I'm not going to say it's inevitable, but it does happen in the really large, in the games that are so invested in, you know, c- c- cutscenes. And for some reason, if you want to have a, a cutscene, the cutscene is always going to be, it's going to be out of engine. Uh, it's going to look different, and you can do different things with it. Uh, I think if people were forced to put their cutscenes in engine, we might see, I'm not going to say better stories, uh, but we wouldn't see um, the missions tied together with this really, because really campaigns are generally leading up to missions, uh, which is the weirdest thing. They build all these stories of with amazing effects and Kerrigan's butt in your face and all this stuff going on, leading up to missions that supposedly have great and consequential effects, but you don't see them. You see them in the cutscene immediately afterward, what the consequential effects are. You commit to, you do the action, but then they tell you what the effects of your action were. Um, I think that's one, another part of the disconnect. I, I do want to say, though, Blizzard does deserve props for one of the very few instances, Troy, of, of what you're talking about. Yeah. And you're right. Most of the time, it's you, you play a skirmish, and then you get a cutscene. You play a skirmish, you get a cutscene. Uh, Blizzard at the time, I think this was kind of unprecedented. You know, the first StarCraft, the mission where the Zerg overrun the base. Uh, 
Yeah. You, you know, the, where the, you're the Terrans and you're playing a little standoff mission. And, and Blizzard, the, yeah. the level designers, expertly timed it to where right at the end, right before the dropship was going to land and rescue you, this impossible swarm came up and hit you. That, to me, was one of the, the rare instances of in-game storytelling, yeah. in-game narrative in an RTS. And you can't, I mean, we, we see that all the time now. It's now a trope, and I see it in other RTSs, and I'm like, yeah, I know. It was awesome when Blizzard did it in the first StarCraft. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt many times over. Uh, but there was a time, and I think that's why the original StarCraft is remembered so fondly as a great example of storytelling, is there were instances where these three asymmetrical races, because if you remember back then, that was kind of unprecedented as well, where they expressed the narrative of these races in gameplay. Uh, so originally in StarCraft, you know, Blizzard did a great job with that. Um, and I also, I'm glad you guys mentioned the, the Command and Conquer campaigns, um, because we also got something from them, which was a similar instance of in-game narrative that now is a trope and that people, I, at least I certainly hate it. But if you remember, there was a time where, uh, you, you know, Command and Conquer couldn't re- this, the stories the the notable thing about those stories was hey there's this cool kick-ass chick who's a commando and her name is tanya and she's awesome or hey there's this crazy russian mind control dude yuri and he's awesome and he's scary and weird so what westwood did is they built missions around just those little units you know you would drive Ta- you would you would move tanya around and she would shoot dudes with her guns and blow up buildings and there would be missions where yuri would mind control things and these are now known as commando missions and i don't know about you guys but i can't stand them for the most part <laughs> um, but back then in the early days of command and conquer it's like hey this is a cool way to not just show talking heads but to then put the characters in the context of gameplay uh and let you play with them uh, now, that still gets to my complaint about it's not the core gameplay of an RTS, but at least they're sort of using missions to tell their narrative. So, uh, boy, there's two there's two threads there I, I, I kind of want to pick up. So mm-hmm. don't let me forget about, like, don't don't le- don't leave off that complaint just yet, Tom, because I actually want to circle back to it eventually. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to talk about those, those commando missions, because uh, I remember the first time I was playing them, uh, the, you remember that? Remember, Red Alert made extensive use of indoor commando missions. I remember it looked like a really cool idea at the time, and then I bought the game and actually had to play them. Uh, and I mean, it was just it was it was a nightmare. Uh, it, you know, it was the ugliest. Like you're just going through this gray corridor and killing dudes with just infantry. And you know, if you know the Command and Conquer series, infantry and infantry combat, not the most thrilling thing in the world. But I sort of feel like. A lot of the complaints that you could level against uh, single-player RTS campaigns really do come down to, in many cases, I think there's kind of a history of uh, kind of lazy or just, or just no, just no, poorly executed um, scenario design. Uh, and, and and mission scripting and, and things like that. Like I think even at the time, those missions didn't really work. They were poorly paced. They were plotting. You basically had to pass them by just sort of internalizing the exact radius at which one unit could hit another without being shot back. Uh, it, it, just all the all these little nitpicky things that just they, they and just constantly reloading them. By the way, you would fail. Yeah. You would hit a point. You would get tiny killed, and you'd be like, "Oh, I have to back up to the last checkpoint." I mean, it's horrible game design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I, I think with uh. 
StarCraft certainly, but I think af- I, I think after StarCraft, uh, Blizzard in general just got so much better at finding new and I think pretty creative uh, mission design for for their RTSs. Like uh, I don't think uh, I'll ever forget that mission in. Uh, Warcraft 3, uh, where Arthas really begins his d- downward spiral. Uh, what is it? The uh, scouring of... Uh, oh, shit. I don't remember the name, but it's the city where it, it basically... Arthas massacres a city full of loyal citizens because plague grain has been delivered there, and he's trying to contain the plague. And so it's just this race against time as you're ripping down like these little civilian houses and murdering the innocent people inside. And if you don't do it quickly enough, they turn into ghouls, and then you got to fight on your hands. So actually, you're better off doing it as fast as possible and killing, killing them while they're still civilians. And, you know, not only was it a concept I hadn't seen before, but it was actually executed really well. The pacing was there. Uh, it was just, it all just came together to both fill me with the sense of urgency, like, oh my god, I just gotta, I gotta kill these people as quickly as possible. And this vague, icky feeling of, I don't think I should be doing this. This doesn't, this doesn't feel good. And that's really exactly where that campaign wants you to be. And I feel like since then, Blizzard's done a much better job of just, like, sort of having these high-concept missions that Yes, they're not they're not a core RTS gameplay, but I think to make a strong campaign, in many ways, you kind of have to shit can that idea to begin with. And you're you know, if if a campaign's about story, there's ways to sort of tell story and communicate those ideas through effective mission design that I think Blizzard really got started to get with StarCraft and has really been, uh, in many ways, kind of nailing since then. And other design other developers, I think, have caught up a little bit, but in general, it's something I wish I saw more of. I, I, I think, Rob, one of the best recent examples of a campaign mission that, it, while, it, while it may not have had the core RTS gameplay values that I crave and the reason that I play RTSs, that had that kind of clever, uh, distinct scripting stuff that, that is also from uh, uh, Wings of Liberty. And, and it's been mimicked many times. There are many custom mods that, that mimic it. But in Wings of Liberty, there was one mission where you hold out against zombies at night. Oh, and my then God, during the mission. day. Yeah, and that was great. And they're all, you know, if you if you go into the little custom map mode, there's like a 100 uh, imitations of this. Uh, and there's various ways you can score it. And almost like it's almost like a subgenre, almost like tower defense, not quite as hardy, but that was a great concept and it really took off. And for me, that was a highlight of Wings of Liberty and single player scripted campaign missions in general. But what I see more of, uh, is stuff like the mission where the lava is rising and you constantly have to move your base and rebuild it. And it's all this puzzly stuff that for for me, I just see past the scripting too much, and there's no, nothing real dramatic there. You just kind of have to figure out the trick, and then you're done with it. And Blizzard, uh, I, for me, Blizzard hides the tricks a lot better than other developers. But I get through one of those missions, and I would have no desire to ever play it again. You know, there's one in Wings of Liberty where uh, uh, I think a solar... Uh, it's like a solar flare slowly moving across the map, and you need to hurry up and build your dudes and then move them, and then the solar flare eats them up. And uh, I, I find that stuff kind of tedious. And while a lot of people enjoy it, for me personally, it's just not why I play RTSs. Um, but you are right. They have done some cool stuff, including that recent thing in uh, Wings of Liberty. Rob, can you think of any missions like that in Heart of the Swarm, though? 
Um, boy, well, you know, can, can, I, can I put a, put a, yeah, a little bit of, 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 of a difference between those two missions? I think why one works and one doesn't. Yeah, go for it. I think is one is effect because I think that the zombie one really does in many ways have a lot to do with the way the RTS works. You do have to eventually build out your army and you have to go out there. You can sit and wait for them, right. but you've got to go and you've got to take. You've, they're going to be coming in waves, um, but it does. it is a really an RTS mission that just is framed in an interesting, challenging way. The other one is a puzzle. And once you right. figure, it's once you figure, and this is my problem with so many RTS campaigns, they are puzzles set in a story you don't care about full of people you aren't interested in. Um, so they, most of the time, I think the Arthas one, uh, that you mentioned Warcraft 3, I mean, we've definitely got to do a show on Warcraft 3 sometime because it's, I think it's an, in many ways, overlooked major, major uh, game. And I would much rather have had a Warcraft 4, uh, than another Starcraft game. Uh, I think it also, because it, it was, it does have RTS elements to it, but also it was just so integral to this mythic arc of their story. It's a good story. And if your story's no good, then the missions you build around it aren't going to be any good. I think that's why um, I like the Age of Mythology, for example, campaign, but I don't like the Age of Empires, uh, Age of Empires 3 one, because I think one's a better story than the other. Um, I think even though the missions really aren't that different from one to the next, um, I think that can save uh, a campaign overall. And I just, my experience was hard with Heart of the Swarm is almost everything in there, and I would love to hear if there are exceptions because they don't stand out for me, gets to Troy's distinction between a puzzle and a, and a strategy game. Almost everything in the single player in Heart of the Swarm, you know, excellent Zerg porn notwithstanding, just felt so puzzly to me. Uh, yeah, boy, you know, so I will say, I, I don't think, there's nothing in Heart of the Swarm I've seen that would, that I would, that I would like, nominate for uh, sort of a place in the pantheon of great RTS missions. I think, in general, my enjoyment for, from the campaign has just been more of a general, uh, I kind of, you know, I, 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 in some ways, I am buying what Heart of the Swarm is selling. Uh, I, you know, I enjoyed, um, you know, I, I, I enjoyed defending the chrysalis once again uh both first of all because it was fun to be doing that years and years later after the original starcraft where you know you defended a chrysalis full of a transforming kerrigan once before uh here here, here you're doing it again and sort of this you know classic hilltop alamo defense mission uh it's a chance to try out the new unit the swarm host and uh see how that can sort of skew the odds in your favor um although there the swarm host kind of underperforms uh as much as it does in the multiplayer. Uh, so <laughs> in some ways, it also kind of highlights the issues of one of their expansion units. Well, and they uh, give you that huge, like, pool, too. Like, you just, every now and then you click a button and the pool kills everything on the map. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you're, you're completely oh, undermining shit, me right. having to use this, this swarm hosts here. I just have a super weapon that I have to pop off every now and then. <laughs> That's true. And, 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 and I think StarCraft II in general has enjoyed the odd super weapon. Uh, there was the giant laser mission in, um, Wings of Liberty, where you basically had a kill everything laser, and if you micromanaged it, it could basically just murder the hell out of everything coming your way. So, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, there there have been uh, issues like that in the campaign. I just, I I guess I'm a little more sympathetic to the whole, um, you know, like ripping down that Terran base full of, uh, you know, that's being defended by General uh, Warfield. I think that's his name, General Warfield. Uh, just you know, tearing that apart with tons of units, uh, 
you know, using bailing bust after bailing bust and ripping down a new defensive point. Uh, you know, that stuff is really fun for me. And and it sounds like Rob. I mean, I, I love hearing people talk about this because it sounds like it's fun for you because you're buying into when you say you're you're buying what StarCraft Two is selling. Part of what StarCraft Two is selling is this idea that you know Warfield needs to die. You know, you, it seems like you care enough about Warfield that you want to get in there and kill him, just like you cared enough about Arthas uh, that it seemed icky to you that he was killing you know the the good guys. Um, and I think that's what a good story should do. It should make you care. Uh, and I don't I don't mean to pass judgment on anybody who cares about stuff, but for me, I never felt like RTSs were really good at making me care about characters. Um, I, I feel they're terrible, terrible narrative delivery devices because you, you, by default, the nature of an RTS is that you're hovering a couple hundred feet above the action, that the units are disposable, um, and a lot of times the narrative tends to consist of these dudes killed those dudes, and then those dudes killed these dudes. And that's it. Like when, when you put in little characters short of a commando mission, I, I just I have a hard time caring about it. Uh, and, and by the way, that's something you guys mentioned Warcraft 3, their whole idea with making some of the characters RPG style heroes. That's a huge step forward. But many of those heroes, at least when I play Warcraft 3, they don't I don't know anything about what they do in the story. Uh, I just know I've got these four different heroes with crazy abilities. Um, and I, I guess. You know, I just sort of care about their gameplay rather than the story, the, the the role they occupy in the story. I do want to mention, so the one, the nature of RTS is where you are hovering up and you're looking down at little dudes. I do think there are some instances where I find myself caring about them, and it's where they don't hang the narrative hook on characters so much. Like, you know, who's Kerrigan, who's Tanya? Uh, the Darwinia and Multiwinia games, where you're like a scientist Hacking into, uh, I don't even know if you're hacking it, but you're basically an observer in a cyberspace environment, and you're helping these little people clean up their economy from mission to mission. Uh, I, I, I find myself totally buying into that fiction. Uh, you know, I love, I, I, I care about these little guys. You know, they're so pitiable when they die, and they die in such terrible ways. I mean, there are so many just atrocities that take place in a typical game in Darwinia and, and, and Multiwinia. Um, so I feel that's an instance where it's this cool, new, distinct environment, and I care about it more than I would care about Tanya or Kerrigan or, or Warfield. Well, I, see, that's just that, that's weird to me because like the one, like there are many things I appreciate about Darwinia and Multiwinia, Multiwinia, uh, and, and yet that's not one of them. Yeah, uh, I just I, I find myself like I'm listening to this and it's just like we're approaching this from completely opposite ends, which is fine. It's it's you know it, it's great, but it's just it's fascinating for me to hear you saying like that. Oh, I, I really related to that when I have scarcely ever played a campaign more as a more as a purely intellectual exercise. Yeah, I'm 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 with Rob on this. I mean, there's a few RTS. I think it's a, it's one of my favorite uh, RTSs of of its time. It's brilliant and original, but it's a brilliant and original series of different puzzles with lots of stick figures uh, that I really didn't care much about unless they were eaten by a snake because I because I really needed that dude, uh, but I didn't feel any connection to the Darwinians. It really does depend, I think, on how much you value something being original or, or innovation. I mean, oh, I get yeah, so absolutely. tired of space marines and aliens and orcs. For, for me, that's a huge hook, you know, something new and valuable like that. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, so, not that I'm not saying that, that, that the game wasn't good. I'm not saying that the campaign wasn't good. I'm saying that I never felt that I was connecting to a Darwinian 
world in a way that I've connected to characters in other games. I think I should confess at this point that my uh, my avatar on on Xbox Live is a uh, Darwinian. Nice. <laughs> That's that's ironic too, given that Xbox uh, almost killed that that developer. So uh, well done. It's a it's a dark twisted irony. <laughs> but I wanted to go back to your other point, Tom, about huh? just not enjoying how different, um, how basically none of the reasons you play RTS. RTSs are really present in the campaign because on the one hand I totally agree that's a huge problem uh, and I'll get into that I'll get into that in a moment but on another level though I kind of feel like maybe like if, if the if the campaign has to exist I mean if you look at player stats certainly you know every developer I, I I've talked to says there's just a shocking number of people who play RTS games and primarily just want the single player campaign. And that's true of all and, games, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, given that's a reality, I, you know, I just think you're you're better off sort of, you know, if if people really want this campaign, you're in a, and you're, you, by God, you've got to make it. Uh, I, I'd much rather you just kind of, in in some ways, uh, free yourself a little bit from the base building competitive structure of the multiplayer, and just do something else with the campaign uh, that, that's going to help me get into the story. It's going to give me maybe some memorable. Uh, you know, authored experiences. Uh, you know, that's. That, I, I think it's in many ways it, it's a good thing that it, that a campaign doesn't necessarily follow uh, the RTS template. Well, and most developers agree with you. I mean, that's that's what most developers are, are definitely doing. But I I feel it's uh, kind, it's unique to RTSs, by the way, that they don't. This, they so often don't express that core gameplay in their single-player campaign because other genres don't do that, you know. Uh, when you buy a shooter, even though playing multiplayer is different than playing single-player, the basics of interacting with the game, the core gameplay values exist in single-player just like they do in multiplayer. I think that's um, debatable at this point. Uh, okay, I mean, I would certainly be willing to debate that, but let me... Let yeah. me just sort of express how I think it works in, with RTSs. Uh, you know, with a shooter, the basic action of shooting at something is there in multiplayer and single player. With an RTS, um, the basic core gameplay value to me is this combination of what people in StarCraft call micro and macro. Actually, I suspect that term even predates StarCraft. But uh, this idea that you are extracting resources from a map you then convert those resources into a, a military force, and then you use that military force to destroy the other player's ability to extract resources from the map. You know, that to me is the basic framework of an RTS. Now, there are certainly exceptions. Uh, part of what's great about RTSs is how often they can be uh, exceptions to the rule. I love how much creativity there is in this genre. But to me, that's a basic value, and that is not present in most single-player campaigns. Um, so I, I don't see that in other genres where they sacrifice their core values so much for the single player part of the game. Um, and I find that notable in RTSs, uh, and Rob, a couple of times you've said that you feel that it doesn't work when that core gameplay value, that, that stuff that I just mentioned, and I'm happy to, to discuss, by the way, if you think that that's an inaccurate representation, but that stuff that I just mentioned, I think can be put in a single-player campaign, and furthermore, has been put very, very well in certain single-player campaigns. I'm of two minds, because I, there is a part of me that, that does agree with you. I think it's actually a problem that, I, I think ideally it would be nice 
if the campaign were a bit more of a gateway tutorial something to maybe tell me how this game actually works and, and how to play it. And I do think a criticism of the sort of StarCraft model uh, is that at this point you've, you've, divor- yeah, you've divorced the two so far from each other that they're, they're totally unrelated at this point, and it's, it's not a gateway at all. Uh, you can and play it's even completely different units, for instance. Like there's units in the single player, and that, that to me, that's, that's insane to me. Why would you do that? <laughs> Yeah, and I see, and I, I sympathize with. It. I actually, I'm, I kind of enjoy the expanded unit selection and just playing with these extra toys. But at the same time, uh, it is a little frustrating that uh, basically you're just telling gamers like, if you want to learn to play multiplayer, do it somewhere else. Uh, yeah. On the other hand, in StarCraft, you at least trust that there's sort of this cottage industry of of teaching people how to play to sort of pick, take up that slack, but. Uh, so 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 I so so I do share that so I do I do, I do share that view uh, to an extent, but at, you know at the, at the same time, well actually no, I would just like to hear your what are some what are some RTSs that you think effectively uh, combine those two values? Sure, uh, and uh, so an RTS that where that that basic core gameplay value. Uh, does not get sacrificed in the single-player campaign. Some of the examples, for instance, uh, are Rise of Nations, uh, and especially the Thrones and Patriots expansion, which offers all of these cool flavored scenarios that have a sort of a rich strategic front end that dictate how a single-player mission works. And the single-player missions are basically just skirmishes with little strategic values placed on them. For instance, there's a Cold War one, uh, and, and you can get these cards that give you maybe extra spies during the mission, or you start off with a bigger army. And then later on in the campaign, you can actually get nukes and do things like just bypass a mission because you use a nuke instead, or you get a nuke in the context of the mission. Uh, so... Rise of Nations did a great job basically setting up and applying strategic rules to different skirmishes in the format of a single-player campaign, often themed around the different ages. Uh, so, so that would be one example. Um, End War, which not enough people played, uh, had a great global domination campaign that you play moving around to different uh, territories, and each one was basically just a skirmish. But over the course of the missions, you would build up, you would modify your units. Um, I think one of the best games to do this, uh, to, to just basically give you a bunch of great skirmishes and then tie them together with a single-player campaign, uh, was the Warlords Battlecry series. Uh, and the advantage they had was that the connective tissue between the skirmishes uh, was a hero. It's an RPG kind of hero, and you leveled him up, and you got skills, and you learned new abilities, and you would modify the rules of the game when you played. Uh, and and this hero, mod, you know, leveling this guy up, giving him new equipment, learning new skills and spells, uh, that was the hook that united all the little skirmishes you would play, and it modified how the skirmishes played. So I think those are examples of games that didn't have to sacrifice one iota of the core gameplay value for a cool. Uh, single-player campaign. And I would argue most of the Age of Mythology missions were the same way. Uh, unlike, most of them weren't totally puzzle-based. They'd sometimes not give you entire acts to, to, to the full tree, uh, but very quickly on, you would have access to pretty much everything you would need for a skirmish. It would be The bases would be highly protected. There might be water maps, different types of maps, different types of defense to get through, but they would effectively teach you how to use all of these skills through the three different races 
to one big, you know, Royal Rumble at the end where they throw everything at you and see what you've mastered. So you can get through the Age of Mythology campaign. You actually know how to play Age of Mythology, um, I think, at a reasonably decent level. Can I, so one of the things, as much as I love Age of Mythology, and I, I love that you're bringing it up, Troy, one of the things missing from that campaign for me personally that I really need in a campaign is a sense of persistence and progression as, as I go. You know, I need some connective tissue, basically some context for the different missions, and I need that context to change and for me to be able to affect it. Um, so... A better example of that for me personally is Age of Empires 3 with their amazing, amazing home cities concept. You know, when you played a game, you would get to unlock new cards that you put in your quote-unquote deck. And these modify, it was kind of like the hero in Warlord's Battlecry. So while, you know, I love Age of Mythology, they didn't really bother with any of that kind of upgrading or persistence between missions. Uh, and I really appreciate when a, when a single-player campaign does that sort of thing. Yeah, but the missions in Age of Empires, they were terrible, and so was the story, and so was the acting. Well, you know, and I don't even think of, for me personally, and this is kind of this is totally cheating, I don't even think of the single-player campaign in Age of Empires 3 as the single-player campaign. For me, the single-player campaign is just playing skirmishes to unlock cards. Well, <laughs> yeah, which is an entirely different thing. Uh, right, yep, experience. yep, that's totally me cheating, I, I concede yeah. that, yes. But that's really, that's something uh, that, again, I think is unique to RTSs. And I've said this many times before. The problem that an RTS developer has is that he or she basically has to make three different games. You need a multiplayer game, you need a single-player campaign, and you need skirmishes. And they all three have very different demands in terms of level design and AI, in some cases unit balance changes. Uh, you know, I, th anybody making an RTS has to make three different games. Uh, and I, I sort of wonder, too, how much that is changing because of League of Legends. Like, I think a lot of people who really want those core gameplay values that I'm talking about when they buy an RTS and would normally just play the multiplayer, I think a lot of them are just off playing League of Legends and Dota 2 these days. Uh, and I wonder how much of the pressure has taken off of some RTS developers. Well, it's, in some ways the pressure's taken off, but it also creates an entirely new pressure, right? How do you get those gamers back? Uh, right, yeah, or do you it, just give it, up it on it? It sort of yeah. seems like we live in a live in an era where like player base is everything uh, for for a lot of games in that vein, and uh, you know if your community doesn't hit sort of a you know sufficient activity level or a certain critical mass, uh, right. you're in deep trouble. So I think that's that's the flip side. On the one hand, you have to worry less about uh, you know you have to worry less about building campaign. On the other hand, you also have to worry a lot more about finding your audience. Right. Right. Yeah. Can you can we go online right now and find people to play Ruse against, for instance? I, I would be surprised if there was anyone playing that now, which is sad. That's terrible. You know, but I tried it not that long ago, and actually I was surprised at how still kind of easy it was to find an unranked game. Uh, okay. ranked, is, ranked is dead. Ranked is ranked was done like a, two years ago, uh, which is which is kind of sad. Uh, but there you go. Dude, yeah. we should all play Ruse. Uh, yeah, you we know, got I, war game now. Uh, so well, and not only yeah, not, yeah, we got Airland Battles coming. I mean, those those guys, yeah, I love that those guys are still plugging them, away. They are an evolved client, yes. So when you do your Airland Battles show, I cannot be on it, but I will be playing right. that game. All right, but yeah, so you should be Mister like to hell with Ruse. Like we got the new hotness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's old and busted. Uh, 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 I have. A, I, go ahead. Sorry, Rob. Boy, no, there's just the, just talking about Ruse there put me in put me in mind of uh, of that single player campaign, which 
you know, so I, so I wrote a piece about it basically talking about, like, why I kind of hated the story. Uh, but looking back on it, you know, as much as I was bothered by the story, I kind of enjoyed the missions. It was, it was one of those classic RTS campaigns that does sort of teach you uh, unit by unit kind of how the game all comes together and throws different, uh, you know, mission designs at you and forces you to uh, sort of puzzle out how to, how to correctly employ those units, uh, you know, which I really enjoy. I think, you know, something that, when you when you try to build a high quality campaign, I think the you know what gets really dangerous is you do on some level get judged as to the quality of the story uh, you're, you're you're setting out, and I think for a lot of our I I, I think that in particular has has been a challenge for a lot of uh, RTS developers to successfully uh, meet one campaign that. I hear a lot of people praising a great deal is uh, the Company of Heroes campaign uh, as a as a really excellent single player. And while I've you know I, there were a number of missions I really enjoyed, and I mean my God, I think uh, the the Carantan defense is again just one of my all time favorite uh, Alamo missions in the RTS. I found the story to be such warmed over Band of Brothers, uh, Band of Brothers Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Call of Duty crap that I just I could like I could barely I couldn't force myself to finish it. Uh, the moment the first time it had me on a commando mission to go take out a a uh, a, a V two site, I was just done. I was just like, no, I've, I've I have destroyed so many V two sites in the last few years in World War two games. I'm not doing it here. Not again. Not in an RTS. <laughs> I'm done. What? And doesn't that get to, Rob, what you're talking – I think a lot of what, what people respond to in the Company of Heroes campaign is just like StarCraft II, Heart of the Swarm is excellent Zerg porn. Man, there is very little World War II porn as good as Company of Heroes. And so I think a lot of people respond to that when it's just put in a campaign. Uh, and, and, and furthermore, uh, I think that, you know, you talk about the commando missions. I think the time is come and gone for commando missions. Those are, nobody do commando missions anymore, partly because if you think back to Command and Conquer, those were before Diablo 2 existed, before Diablo or any action RPGs existed. What a commando mission is doing, I think you can do better with an action RPG. Or even like Syndicate or XCOM, for instance. You know, that's trying to put into a, a, a real-time strategy game gameplay that now exists in a better form in other genres. Uh, so commando missions, whether you're blowing up V2s or shutting down power generators or, yeah, if I never have to play another commando mission in RTS, that's fine with me. Uh, I'm with you there, Rob. But I think you just brought up an important point, which is that in many ways, a lot of the more interesting missions you can create, some of the more interesting narrative moments you can construct, uh, don't necessarily accompany uh, your, your, your typical base-building RTS. And that's why I think, if we're going to now stretch it beyond the conventional RTS, some of my favorite campaigns in RT games of various sorts... Uh, you know, <laughs> I see what you're doing, Rob. I'm on to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I would still say they're strategy games, Tom. Uh, oh God! <laughs> no, I'm gonna. I, I'm on to you, and I'm with you 110. percent I can bet that whatever you're gonna say, I'm totally on board. <laughs> Homeworld and myth. 
That's yep. basically where I'm headed, is that these are games that, uh, you know, Myth is a real-time tactical game. The multiplayer is all just, you know, basically point by and then beat the hell out of each other's armies and fight over objectives. Uh, right. Homeworld, uh, boy, I'm not even sure I ever... Did it even have multiplayer? I certainly never played it. I think it did. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely, never, I, yeah. But I, it was, I was still on dial-up at the time. I never played it. But for me, it was strictly this sort of uh, single-player campaign. And I loved that because Homeworld, you know, as a single-player campaign, the the central conceit was so good to creating these missions. It, it's you are just you are the last vessel of your species, sort right. of journeying space, trying to find a new home, being pursued by people who want you dead. It's Battlestar Galactica, the game before the good Battlestar Galactica even existed, uh, and it's just mission after mission. You arrive in a new place, and then it's just this no, this this rising sense of dread and tension. You know, like where's the threat going to come from? What's it going to look like? And you know, hovering over all of it is this really you know. It's it, it is a sparse, quiet, sad game in many ways, uh, and it, and and I it just it, it held me wrapped and still you know still does to this day, and I don't think uh, you know I'm not necessarily sure that I I'm not sure you I'm not sure you could have you could have pulled off something so successfully uh, if it was just a standard like go out there and just build a base uh, and then. Conquer someone's someone else's base. I, I think the conceit of Homeworld makes it much more effective at telling a story. Absolutely, but to be fair though, Homeworld is expressing a lot of. Well, Homeworld still has you building up a base. You know, it has the persistence of your mothership over yeah. missions. You're definitely doing some uh, economic stuff with mining asteroids and stuff. Uh, and and Homeworld, if I'm not mistaken, had a lot more. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I seem to recall those missions had a lot more of a skirmishy feel than okay. Now you move here and you activate these guys, and then you move further down the dungeon, you activate these guys. Yes. Uh, so I, I feel like Homeworld was a good example of not sacrificing the core gameplay value to create this campaign. And furthermore, it had some of that persistence that I feel was like missing from Age of Mythology because of what you did with your mothership, specifically the sequel to Homeworld, by the way. Um, and also, you know, you mentioned how quiet and spare it was. You know, that's part of what I respond to in Darwinia, the, the unique atmosphere. Yeah. You know, there are a bazillion spaceship games that are based on, like, Star Wars or whatever, where you need flashy stuff happening all the time. Uh, but, but Homeworld had this, this quiet, laid-back quality to it of just, like, grooving on spaceships. Yeah. Uh, Sin of the Solar Empire, by the way. Another one. Great space porn. You, you know, that to me is like a latter-day Homeworld in, in many ways. Um, where, by the way, also interesting, uh, Sins of the Solar Empire, don't even bother with a single-player campaign. They just kind of virtual shrug. A lot of, they, they get dinged for it a lot, but uh, Ironclad just kind of shrugs and is like, well, we're, we're not really doing that. Sorry. And it's a smart move, I, I think. Cause oh, absolutely. Talk, yeah. And also, talk about a community that basically has been forced to play that game as a multiplayer skirmish game. You know what I mean? It's just like they're, they're, it doesn't exist in any other. It has. It doesn't exist in any other concept. You know, so it just. It's never done. You know, it's just. You know, you're, you're just playing more uh, with other people, uh, comp stomps, that sort of thing. Uh, which they, maybe yeah. is a healthy. It's a healthy place for an RTS to exist. Well, they buck that trend that I was talking about earlier. If you make an RTS, you need to make three separate games. Ironclad was like, nope, we're making one game. You know, whether you're playing a skirmish or multiplayer, basically the same framework. Uh, you know, they do put the AI in for skirmishes. But, yeah, I love that they decided no single-player campaign, and I wish more developers would do that. 
Uh, I want to talk, too, about, I think, uh, one of the important distinctions here. Troy mentioned earlier, uh, he used the term authorial voice and how strategy games aren't really good at that, and I completely agree, and it's why so much of Blizzard stuff and even the Company of Heroes campaign, Age of Mythology, it's why a lot of that bounces off of me. But what strategy games are good at uh, is more dynamic or emergent storytelling with dynamic campaigns. And to me, that's a lot of what this is that we're talking about, is if you can't do a dynamic campaign of some sort for your single-player campaign, I, I kind of am uninterested. Um, so a lot of what this is for me is what RTSs have dynamic campaigns because those are the ones that I find interesting. And, and Blizzard, by the way, people might say, oh, if you go to Char or whatever the ice planet is next, that's a choice you make. You know, oh, are you going to make your Zerg it can jump up cliffs or it moves 20% faster? That's a choice you make. No, to me, that's not a dynamic campaign. Occasional choices do not a dynamic campaign make. Uh, so I really applaud when an RTS just doesn't really bother so much with the authorial voice narrative and instead just gives me a dynamic campaign to create more of my own kind of emergent narrative. Yeah, there's so few that are, that are pure RTSs that have done that. I mean, you've mentioned, you know, Rise of Nations. But I mean, it's a bunch of, it's a, the campaign is a, it's a turn-based, it's kind of like Total War. It's, you, 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 you take turns and then you fight a real-time battle. So it's got this nice little mix and it's easy to do the dynamic stuff when you're moving from turn to turn. Um, and thinks that so Rise of Nations is an example. There's a terrible, terrible game that I remember reviewing for CGM and cursing Steve Bauman. Uh, and I remember the name of it. Cuban Missile Crisis was its name. It said an art and uh, alternate timeline where the Cuban Missile Crisis leads to a nuclear holocaust or something. So the world's broken up with all these little factions. And it had a claim to be a dynamic campaign. You'd win a battle, and the map would react to how you'd won that battle. And you have to get new resources off this strategic map that would lead you through other battles. The problem being the game only had three maps, like three real-time battle maps to play on. So it was like completely useless. It was a terrible, terrible game. So it's, I'm trying to think of really good examples of oh, traditional plenty. base building yeah. uh that are that are really that are really truly that that aren't like you say I'm just I'm just leveling up my dude in a different way I'm leveling up my Zerg, right. I'm leveling up my hero in a different way because right, those aren't truly dynamic that's just an RPG mechanic you know tacked on uh, to a campaign structure. Well, pretty much any of the ones that I've mentioned so far were dynamic campaigns, but then there are others. Uh, Battle for Middle Earth 2, which had again a turn-based strategy right. front end on on Middle Earth, great dynamic campaign. Uh, you know, I mentioned End War and the Warlords Battlecry series. Uh, uh, um, Dawn of War, uh, the one, the first yeah, Dawn yeah, of War yeah. had that first Terminator faction. Yeah. Soulstorm. Oh, yeah. Was it? Yeah, it's the one that introduced the Terminator faction that had a, you know, you're picking different places that you're conquering. Or you're, it's all the races fighting over one planet. I want to say that's Soulstone, uh, but hang on. Yeah, but that had a great dynamic campaign. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, uh, the Airland battles coming up. You know, those guys went from Ruse, which was a standard authorial voice, goofy right. World War II thing, couldn't care less. Then in European Escalation, they added this great unlockable system where you, even if you're playing Skirmish or the single-player campaign, you earn stars, and you use those to unlock units, which appealed to the same part of me that likes getting the cards in Age of Empires 3 for my home city. You know, Now, in Airland War, they're promising, and I, I can't wait to see how this turns out, they're going to go one step farther, and they're going to do a dynamic campaign. 
You know, totally looking need, forward to what those guys are doing. We need to see how that turns out. I mean, like I say, they're a client, so I can just tell you it's going to be freaking awesome. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how the mechanics of that work. Uh, because you know right. it's really it's because it's not easy to do well because uh, the risk of course is if it's truly dynamic the risk is a player starts snowballing and cutting through it pretty quick um, unless you have the map react in interesting ways unless you have some sort of an authorial voice kind of pushing back on the dynamism well right i mean a, a bad dynamic campaign is still going to be a bad single player uh, yeah, campaign so, i yes. definitely agree with you there so, so it, um, and it takes a kind, really kind of skill to it uh, I think I think that I, I think Sins of a Solar Empire would be great for a, some sort of a dynamic campaign. I think it has the ability to do it, but I understand why Ironclad just doesn't want to invest the time in it. Um, well, it does have a dynamic campaign, and that's called a uh, a skirmish. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Given the length of time over which they play out, it does exactly. actually by the end feel right. like yeah. the culmination of a bloody campaign. Uh, I want to call out one of my favorite dynamic campaigns, and this I think this game it's games maybe. 15 years old, and this still holds up visually, certainly in terms of gameplay. It had a dynamic campaign where every time you do the single-player campaign, it's going to be different, and you make choices between each mission that determine what units you're going to get uh, and have huge long-term implications. Uh, one of the best RTSs of all time, great single-player campaign, uh, Sacrifice. Uh, every mission, you chose one of the gods, and then at the next tier, you get that god's unit and that god's spell. So you're basically creating your own faction as you go. Uh, and, I, you know, all the missions were the core gameplay. You know, there was none of this guff where you go here and you un, you activate these 10 units and fight them, and then you go there and you activate these 15 units and you fight them. All of them were your little dude fighting against another little dude, playing by the same rules of the game. Uh, I, I love Sacrifice. Yeah. I think if you don't like Sacrifice, you're not really a human. Exactly. You're, bold, you are from another declarations. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, someone in our audience is a, is, is, is a, a, a Cylon. I'm not saying who. <laughs> I, well, I, I can't, just let me know when you're opening the camps, Troy, and uh, we'll, we'll get rolling on that. Excellent. Um, but, what, like, I'd be interested to hear you guys. So, in that in that Dawn of War game, uh, Soulstorm. And there was a, another Westwood game, uh, the the Dune game, right? The 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 more recent of the Dune RTSs, um, fe- featuring lots of full motion video. But uh, one of the uh, both of those are sort of driven by this sort of territory control, you know, fight over territory thing. Um, and I I don't know, uh, you know, on the on the one hand, I feel like those things are kind of cool, in that it's kind of neat to decide when you're going to unlock units, uh, you know, where your next conquest is going to be, what's that, what type of challenge you feel you're ready for, uh, but but at the same time, I don't I don't know, it's if like I, I I'm kind of with you, Troy, like if it's truly dynamic, you you introduce this the this host of this this host of new issues, uh, that I, that I'm not sure your typical RTS campaign is is really well equipped to handle. Um, you know, Total War is kind of an exception where it's always been about that uh, binary uh, between the strategic layer and then the battles themselves. I think it's it, it works and and, and, less. And, and, and even there they have to cheat a lot because for yes. by having you know the AI gang up on you just to keep it fair for much of uh, the Total War's history. 
So I wasn't really but as an RTS, so though, as an RTS, well, I think Total War, I mean, the Creative Assembly games are a great example, and they it, it exists because what they decided to do, and this is pretty brave, is completely remove the economic element from the actual real-time gameplay, and, 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 and it exists entirely and only in the strategic level, uh, and that's and it's a dynamic campaign. You know, those campaigns are dynamic, but but the reason that it works is because... Every mission is a skirmish, but you're not doing this, the typical core RTS gameplay I'm talking about. And they built the game around that. That's how that game is designed, um, is that there's no economy in the missions. All that exists in the turn-based game. I've always been a little bit partial to, uh, and this has its own risks, but I enjoyed it so much in Myth. Uh, being able to carry units from mission to mission, uh, not not, right. not not hero right. units, but units that you have transformed into heroes, I think has always been uh, so enjoyable for me in games like that because then it allows me just enough, it allows me just enough persistence to feel like the events of each mission, my actions, my command uh is, is contributing something to the story. You know, it wasn't just, you know, generic dwarf uh, you know, uh, you know, Bimley or whatever like or whatever like throwing <laughs> grenades onto that bridge. Uh, you know, it was, you know, it 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 was Balin, you know, Balin with, you know, a thousand kills to his name, uh who's basically the Davy Crockett of uh dwarven <laughs> grenadiers. Uh and you know, for me like that has made that made so many moments in myth so much more memorable and I want to say that units also carried over from mission to mission in homeworld too, didn't they like Yep. What you took out of a system, you were bringing to the next one. Yep, and you could get yourself into dead ends, by the way, too. Totally, uh, you could totally. Uh, that's that's the problem. Team. On the one hand, I love that, right? Like, I, I love that it mattered. I love the results mattered. Like, if you if you won a pirate victory, uh, congratulations, you totally screwed yourself. And I know that like no game designer today would let you do that. But at the same time, I enjoyed the fact I could because it meant when I when I <laughs> nailed it, it mattered. Right. Right. Uh, and by the way, that veteran thing, thing that you're talking about, Rob, I just want to go back to Warlord's Battlecry. You know, your hero had, I forget what it was called, it had a stat, maybe it was something like Charisma, but I don't think it was that. But it determined how many followers you could have. And the followers were just, as you were playing, you know, there was a veterancy system. You could pick any survivors of the, the game and then carry them on and then preload them with you into the next mission uh, if you wanted to use some of your points. Uh, so Warlords Battlecry is that same thing. It's like, you know, here's Bimley, the dwarf that threw the grenades on the bridge or whatever that was. You could bring him with you from mission to mission. And if he died, he died. You know, you, you lost him. Um, but that's a great example of persistence, you know, getting attached in a, in a game that normally where the units are so disposable, getting attached to a specific one and letting you carry that guy around with you, uh, a retainer, if you will. Uh, I love how Warlords Battlecry did that. Yeah, and, and I... I... In in some ways, I I sort of feel like, uh, it, just in general, it's been a little more fruitful for RTS campaigns to have that slightly more personal touch. To in general, I think it's been good when, uh, you know, you do kind of cut down on the number of units and maybe make it feel a, a little more personal. And certainly, that's something that they did with uh, Warcraft Three. It was you know, it certainly felt a little uh, you know scaled down in some ways, from previous Warcrafts uh, and from Starcraft. Uh, you know, giving you those heroes, making it more about keeping, you know, the small group of people alive, uh, you know, was certainly more effective. Of course, that can blow up in your face, as we saw with, uh, 
the Dawn of War Two. Uh, well, well, that was their whole mandate with Dawn of War Two is to make the single player campaign about a small group of units that you get attached to and you level up, and it even had inventory. You know, you give them equipment. Uh, that to me was kind of a worst case scenario of what Warlords Battlecry did because it it was taking an RTS and basically making it. An, an action RPG. You know, like yeah. I talked about earlier, I'd just soon play Diablo or something. Yeah, I, no, I, I totally it was, agree. It was not very good. It had bosses, for Pete's sake. You had boss battles in Dawn of War 2. What the heck's up with that? <laughs> I, now I'm like, you kids with your RTSs these days, get off my lawn. Back in my day, we didn't have boss battles in our RTSs. That's absurd. Who ever heard of such a thing? No, and they're every <laughs> bit as awful as, a, you know, it's it, it's like, what are what are... You know, like it's basically, t- you know, what awful taste and delicious genre. You know, what, what combine those two? What will you get? Exactly what you expect. Uh, you know, the boss battles in Dawn of War Two are just these grotesque slogs of just bashing away at this pile of hit points, and oh god, like like the bosses would charge up and then you dodge out of the way, and at that point it was like you were playing like. Castlevania or something with RTS, and it was just it was awful. And then the most recent one, they they tried to have the same campaign work for every faction, the same mission structure, the same. Oh, that's right. Maps. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you, you're going to go through as the uh, the orcs or the what's the other right Zergs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's going to be the same map every time. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that what that was actually called because it's going to remember. Dawn of War. The Dawn of War specific II, Dawn of War 2 uh, expansion. Um, Dawn of War 2 uh, for the Empire. Dawn of War 2, all hail the Inquisitor. You, you, are, just, you are just now saying things. You're just making things up now. Uh, <laughs> no, Retribution uh, was, was its ah, that, that does sound very good. I, did you Google that, Rob? Did you cheat? No, I was in my Steam list. <laughs> That's worse than Googling it. Okay. Yeah, but no, it was it was a nasty surprise when I was like a few missions into the Imperial Guard campaign. I was like, I wonder what those Space Marines are up to, and it's the same game. That's uh, so. So don't do that. Don't do campaigns at all, people. Well, no. So I I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I still I stand by my enjoyment of a well done campaign. I do think, in general, it, it's one of those things where it just it, it comes down to, re, like it comes down to effective mission design. And whether or not that's going to be true to the multiplayer game, uh, true to the pure RTS uh, underneath, uh, you know, that's kind of a matter of discretion. For for me, it really comes down to whether or not you're going to justify, you know, are you going to give me scenarios that are going to be interesting to me to play uh, as a as a tactician, as a strategist, uh, or is it just going to be, you know, kind of a bunch of kind of a lobotomized RTS? With story holding it together. See, here's my question. I mean, go to go old Seinfeld. Who are these people? I'd like to meet. Do we, do we, I mean, do we know anybody? Have we met anybody who just plays these games for the campaigns and puts them away? I mean, oh, absolutely. I, 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 I understand that they're out there because otherwise they, they they wouldn't do it because it's it's a lot of money to build something that nobody's playing. Um, I know that a lot of critics or deep into strategy games will play through the campaign and talk about the campaign and say, well, it's supposed to have bad writing. It's a strategy game. Well, go to hell. Uh, you're never allowed to have bad writing. You're just never. Uh, but I'm just wondering, I mean, who are these people? How do they find out about strategy games? What draws them to this sort of gameplay? 
to play a story. Because clearly they're like lassoing units and smacking things into each other. But it doesn't. They might not be interested in multiplayer, and that's fine. I'm not that interested in multiplayer. I I, I still like skirmish maps. I still like playing solo skirmish quite a bit. Though I'm getting more bit by bit into multiplayer. Who are the people who are really interested uh, in campaigns in general? The StarCraft campaign. I'll I'll, I'll grant you the, 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 that's different. StarCrafts. It, it's a legend. It's a myth. It's a great big thing. And it was, the first one was a landmark campaign introducing you know, landmark characters that people can care about because they cared about the first StarCraft. But other games that don't have this, like the, 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 the Dawn of War 2. Who was craving a Dawn of War 2 campaign in general? That wasn't, you know, I mean, just what are, who these people are and how, if we know any. Cause well, keep I, in mind, you know, we're here on a strategy gaming podcast. I'm not saying that, you know, I expect them to, you know, be listening to the show, but I'm wondering, you know, they have focus tests. They find these people. I'm doing, do you know any? Do you, I mean, because you know a lot of, okay. Yeah, these people are people who aren't, who wouldn't listen to a strategy gaming podcast, oh, sure. who don't, well, who yes, aren't really, the, 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 well, I'm just saying, I'm not, yeah, <laughs> yeah but these, these people, I think they're, I, I don't want to, I don't use this as a, a phrase of denigration, but they're like more casual game players. You know, an RTS is, is, a, is a hugely complex, difficult, at times overbearing exercise in multitasking, and I appreciate that challenge. It's just like some people like doing really hard crossword puzzles, for instance. I love that about RTSs, and I think that's what those of us who are on Three Moves Ahead and who are listening are really into, but we, not everyone wants that from an RTS. So I think who these people are and the reason that it's a popular way to play these single player campaigns is that it gives players this ersatz real-time strategy experience where they're watching all the little dudes fighting each other without having to do any of the the, the more difficult level of gameplay. Uh, and, by the way, I think this has given rise to an entire genre. I think tower defense games are popular because that's a fun, cool thing to do, is to watch little armies fight, and more specifically, to watch you killing lots of little armies, you know, to, to, to fend off hordes of attackers and watch them die as they wash up against your defenses. And tower defenses just skip straight to that part. And I think that's the same kind of impulse, the entertainment impulse to enjoy that, that leads to casual players picking up StarCraft and just going through the adventures of Kerrigan and watching a bunch of Banelings blow stuff up. Uh, and so I, those people are pretty much everyone but us, I think. <laughs> I think that's kind of the answer. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I think that's just about perfect. You know, I, I would just say that they can do better. Uh, I'm kidding. People. People have different tastes. I get that. I just, I just, I think your analysis is probably right, Tom. But I'm just curious because if there, because there, there are better ways to do that. Like say, tower defense is a better way to have this experience than I think in an RTS. And I think you know, the, 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 I think it's one of the the, the, the the total war games are so popular. Um, you know, bad AI and other things notwithstanding, for a very long time because they do give you the I get to build an army and smack it into things. Uh, yeah, and never get yeah. especially good at it. And I just saw on Twitter uh, that apparently there is a new public beta out for Myth 1.8. It's been updated. It's still going concern. So, <laughs> public service announcement, Myth is back in action, baby. Uh, but I, I would just say, you know, I think there's actually a way you could turn this around, though. Um, in some ways, you know, for the same reasons you just praised the genre, Tom, the, the, you know, these uh -huh. are really hard crosswords. Uh, I do think that in some ways it's also been a problem where it's, it's have, having a high skill ceiling 
can be a problem for for accessibility and in some ways like uh, the the single player gamers have kind of been subsidizing our enjoyment of the genre basically since its inception uh, <laughs> and i I think in some ways you could you could say that maybe the signal failure of uh, the RTS genre has been finding a way to sort of bridge that gap between the people who play the uh, the multiplayer and the people who just kind of want to play around with the cool units, enjoy the art and explosions and all that good stuff. Uh, and I, I don't think, I, you know, I, I, and I think that's kind of, that's kind of the gap that persists. And I think that's kind of one reason we're, we're kind of dissatisfied with it uh, because the, the campaign is, is where such a large portion of the audience lives. Uh, but it's not in most cases it's both not compelling in itself it's not you know for a variety of reasons you'll run into a number of issues the way the campaign is constructed but it's also not necessarily leading to a deeper uh, appreciation and a broadening of the audience for the rts games that we know and love and and i i think for all the guff that i get for being critical of blizzard they have the right idea uh, you know, Blizzard makes it pretty painless to get into multiplayer. Their ranking system and their leagues are, are for the most part, pretty welcoming as long as you're willing to, you know, play a 15-minute match and lose uh, half of the time. Uh, I think Blizzard has the right idea. Uh, you know, Blizzard seduces people in with the Zerg porn and then makes it real easy for them to just come over here and click on this multiplayer button just to see what it's about. I'm just going to duck my head and I'm going to stick my toe in here. Uh, and they... They make it pretty welcoming and, and accessible. And, uh, you know, I really think that Blizzard is doing a good job of those people that are subsidizing our RTSs of kind of winning them over to the way that we enjoy playing them. Well, that'll do it for tonight's topic. Uh, as always, my thanks to Tom for spending his evening with us, and my thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for cutting this episode together. Uh, if you would like to contribute your own entries to uh, the rawest, hardest core, uh, most explicit Zerg porn possible, uh, you are free to share those links with us at uh, idlethumbs.net uh, slash 3MA. And head over to the forums and check out the uh, comments for this episode, uh, where we will no doubt be talking about our favorite things uh, that the Zerg can do to Terrans. Uh, my personal favorite, of course, is the tidal wave of Banelings, but that's just me. Uh, we'll be back next week, I hope, with uh, more considered opinions of Heart of the Swarm and perhaps getting a bit more into the multiplayer and perhaps discussing uh, the changes to the competitive scene a little bit. Uh, so look for that next week. Uh, but until then, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Night all. Good night.